So as Chip mentioned, we're wrapping up this series today, and I, so I don't know how many of you are feeling like, yay, finally, or no, let's keep going, and I'll take it by that reaction. We're thinking, yay, finally, uh, but as we wrap up this series today, my hope is that you've both been challenged, absolutely, uh, by what it means to uh, work through and create a biblical worldview of political engagement in our lives, but also encouraged as well. Uh, this is a worthwhile pursuit for two reasons. Well, I'll give you a third. First of all, uh, because Scripture talks about it, <laughs> so that's a great reason to talk about it as well. Uh, but for two reasons, politics affect people and God cares about people. And if we don't manage our thinking through discipleship with Jesus, we become disciples of someone or something else in our lives. Uh, so if you missed any of the message, messages from the series, I want to encourage you to check out the other ones. Uh, these are, uh, you know, the messages are not exhaustive. We could keep going and talking about this and how it impacts our lives and the practical application of Scripture when it comes to politics, all those kinds of things. But they, uh, this sermon series is meant to be taken holistically. Uh, and so would love for you to check that out, which you can do on our Facebook page or YouTube page. Uh, go to velocitychurch.info and you can find all that information. We've got a podcast as well. Uh, uh, so you can uh, catch up on some of those things. Last week, we talked about how we think about freedom in light of being disciples of Jesus who have been set free from sin and so therefore bond ourselves to righteousness. Uh, and you could almost think of today's sermon as kind of a part two of that one, if you'd like, as we talk about power and authority. Power and authority are fundamental keys to a kingdom's existence and throughout history, we've seen that exercise in a number of different ways. Wealth and military might have been the mainstays of how earthly kingdoms acquire and keep power and authority. Uh, and even especially when the le legitimacy of that authority is questioned, if you've got the power, you get to make the rules. Uh, in fact, there was a Wizard of Id cartoon published. You guys remember that cartoon? You remember cartoons and newspapers? Do they still have those? Uh, they do? That's amazing. That warms my heart. My sister and I, we'd get home from church on Sundays, and the first thing we would do is uh, we would go to get the Sunday newspaper to grab the cartoons. Uh, they would come out in color on Sundays. Because some of you are like, oh, nostalgia. Some of you are like, what is a newspaper? Uh, but that's, that's all right. Uh, so in 1965, uh, they came up with this uh, with this tongue-in-cheek narrative that encompasses how an earthly kingdom functions without division. So here's, here's the cartoon. You may be able to uh, see it. Can you guys see that pretty well? Uh, in conclusion, fellow peasants, let me stress the need for peace and harmony. Remember the golden rule, we must all live by the golden rule, which we know what that is. Uh, but these two peasants are talking, what the heck is the golden rule? And uh, the strolling minstrel says, whoever has the gold makes, makes the rules. Of course, this is a play on the golden rule that maybe we're familiar with uh, from Jesus, uh, the wisdom of Jesus that we find in Matthew 7, in which he says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Now keep in mind, this is a part of Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, which he concludes with saying that anyone who doesn't put his words into practice is foolish, but those who do are wise. And so uh, think with me, you know, how would the world be different if we built our kingdoms on the principle, on this principle of doing unto others what we would have them do unto us, 
Uh, if we, uh, you know, built our, our kingdoms on that principle that sums up the entire law and the prophets, I mean, it'd be completely different. Uh, the shape and scope of history and humanity would be entirely different. It won't happen, of course, as long as there's sin in the world. Maybe that sounded a little too pessimistic, but, you know, that's the reality that, that we live in. However, it should give us pause in how we view the exercise of power and authority in our lives and particularly in earthly kingdoms. And this is a sermon, it's not a civics class, and so we're not going to talk about uh, you know, the proper balance of power between the federal government and state governments, um, or the way in which the legislative, executive, and judicial branches should work uh, together, even how ta tax law should be structured. You know, Jesus covered taxes, by the way, uh, and so that he always give, already gives us the answer to that. And while it's perfectly reasonable to have a well-informed opinion of all these things and more, and, and we should... It's the spirit in which we approach these things that matters in the kingdom of God. And I'd say the spirit that seems to be the most prominent that's been building up over the last decade or so uh, that gets the most attention seems to be, you lost, so get over it. And the only spirit that engenders is one of division. It works for sports. I, I, I like it there. We like rivalries. So your team lost, get over it, you know. That's entertaining because ultimately it's just a game, even though a lot of people take it way too seriously. But it doesn't work for relationships. And when it comes to power and authority in the kingdom of God, relational currency holds the most power and authority in God's kingdom. The first power and authority structure that we ever experience in our lives is guardianship. And so you think about whoever raised you, parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles, whoever it is, wolves, whatever it may be, uh, that has a lot to do with impacting how we view and experience the world. Uh, what our parents, grandparents, anybody else wants for us and guides us to shapes our expectations and our notions of what we want out of life. And there's this great encounter in Matthew 20 between Jesus and the mother of a couple of his disciples, James and John, who wants the best for her sons. And so she just, and maybe she was a helicopter parent, I don't know, something, something like that. And so uh, she just so happened to believe that this, the best for them was a very specific place in the kingdom that Jesus, she believed, came to establish. And so in Matthew chapter 20, the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them because they were expecting an earthly kingdom and Jesus was establishing something different. And so Jesus says, can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered, because they thought they knew what they were talking about. And Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. And when the 10 heard about this, because there's 12, of the inner circle that are following Jesus. So the other 10 to hear about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. And I'm sure they're thinking, Mom, <laughs> come on. Indignant, though, probably because they wouldn't mind that prominent place for themselves. And when your friend has a prominent role over you, that might not always go that well. And so Jesus calls them together in verse 25 and says this, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles, and that's everybody who's not Jewish, lorded over them, and he's probably thinking about the Roman Empire in views, he's, he's talking about this, and their high officials exercise authority over them. 
Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so with what was a request for power and authority and position within God's kingdom, Jesus turns into a teaching opportunity to explain the gospel the good news that his kingdom is really all about. Now, we might summarize the gospel as Jesus dying on the cross for our sins so we wouldn't have to, raising to life so that that sacrifice would be everlasting so that we can spend eternity with the Heavenly Father. And while this is all true, you don't have the gospel of Jesus without the death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus was preaching the good news at the beginning of his ministry alongside this phrase that we've been referring to every sermon in this series the kingdom of God. The good news includes the kingdom of God. And this new covenant that Jesus is ushering in brings about a whole new conception of what it means to have loyalty and citizenship, and this gospel is anchored in on Jesus' teaching about the kingdom. It's subversive not only to the teachings of the old covenant that had really become a caricature at that point in time in the nation of Israel's uh, history, uh, but it was subversive to the Roman Empire as well. And intentionally so. The gospel, for example, wasn't a word that was reserved to the biblical text. And so when you read in the New Testament, we talk about gospel, which means good news. That wasn't something that just shows up in, in the Bible. It was a political term used to convince people to submit to the power and authority of Caesar. The Greek word is euangelion, and it's used all the way from Alexander the Great, who would send out evangelists. So that's where we get our word evangelist or evangelize, sharing the good news, uh, who would share his political value and his dominance throughout his Greek empire. And so the gospel of the Caesars, you know, their motivation is keeping people happy in the empire, which really just meant, you know, we don't want any insurrections to happen. Uh, so they promise enough things that would connect to emotions and deniers, you know, pr desires, preying on their fear, so you can socially engineer peace while you acquire all the power that you want. So we'll give you some paved streets, we'll give you running water, entertainment, freedom of religion, you know, to a degree that it suits us. Uh, there's this uh, calendar inscription that describes the Gospel of Augustus, and so let me let me share you share with you uh, that uh, this is from 9 B.C. Since providence, which has ordered all things and is deeply interested in our life, has set in most perfect order by giving us Augustus, whom she filled with virtue that he might benefit humankind, sending him as a savior both for us and for our descendants, that he might end war, even though he's the one who's causing it, and arrange all things. And since he, Caesar, by his appearance, excelled even our anticipations, surpassing all previous benefactors and not even leaving to posterity any hope of surpassing what he has done. And since the birthday of the god Augustus was the beginning of the good tidings, there's that word euangelion, uh, for the world that came by reason of him. And so, so this is just a description of the gospel of Caesar Augustus, the, the good news. Uh, that was being uh, shared, that the reign of this king would bring war to an end so all the people of the world who surrendered and pledged allegiance to this king would be granted salvation from destruction. Of course, the destruction was only coming because the Roman Empire had an insatiable desire for power and authority. And so the Pax Romana, uh, Romana uh, was a gospel message that was shared, the long-standing peace of the Roman Empire. The thing to understand is this, though. 
the gospel of Jesus that came and is conflicted with the gospel of that day, and it continues to conflict with the other good newses of, of these days. Only one kingdom can ultimately hold power and authority. And Jesus, as the Christ, the anointed one, ushered in the one that does, the kingdom of God. And the trouble that people had with Jesus and the reason why he was executed in a political manner is that he conflicted with the final destiny views of Rome and Israel. People were looking for an earthly kingdom, you know, limited by time and space and who's included, with some spiritual ramifications. Jesus taught that the kingdom of God was spiritual, which is all-encompassing with earthly ramifications. And where kingdoms of this world amass power to exercise authority, God's kingdom is powerful because of his authority, because he already has it. And where he has plenty of power to wield, and he does so, he does so with the intent to unify humanity to himself through the good news of Jesus. And he does so with two hands nailed to a cross. One of my favorite chapters in the Bible is Philippians chapter 2 and includes within it an early Christian hymn. And so I, I want you to, uh, even if you need to close your eyes, I want you to listen to these words that describe uh, the power and authority of Jesus and how he exercises that in establishing the kingdom. Philippians 2 verse 5, In your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. When our desire for power and authority, whether it's personal or what we want the government or someone else you know, that, that's in power over us to wield, doesn't look like that, it's doomed to division. And it's just going to be the natural conclusion. And perhaps this seems to be neglecting some particular realities, uh, a la whoever the, you know, has the gold makes the rules, um, that power-based authority is the only way to get things done right and keep them there. Um, but this is, the, this is the position that Jesus tells the disciples to not pursue. So yeah, that's how, that's how non-believers act, but you're going to act in a totally different way. You're going to serve one another. That it isn't necessary to be in a position to lord it over someone unless you've beaten one of your friends in fantasy football. As disciples of Jesus, we're ambassadors of the good news. And as citizens of God's kingdom, when we humble ourselves, the less we need our own power and the more we rely on God's authority in our life. And we see him move in powerful ways. In 1852, there's a 40-year-old woman who'd grown up the daughter of a famous preacher and uh, she became an abolitionist. But she couldn't vote. She wanted to make a difference, but she couldn't hold political office, and she wasn't supposed to public speak. And so when you think about that, you know, the, all the limitations she had as a woman in those days, you think it'd be hard for her to make a dent in the problem without those opportunities. What she could do, however, is write. And so in 1852, at the age of 40, Harriet Beecher Stowe wrote, Uncle Tom's Cabin. 
On November 25, 1862, Stowe was invited to the White House to meet Abraham Lincoln, and her son later wrote about that interaction, and Abraham Lincoln said this to Harriet Beecher Stowe. He said, referring to the Civil War, so you are the little woman who wrote the book that started this great war. I, I don't know if you've ever heard that before, but it, it, it struck me, because most of the time we talk about Civil War, you know, we talk about a lot of other things. It's the reason why it exists or why it happened. And, and you, think, you think about this, this book that was really more of a sermon than, than it was, was a novel, in which Stowe's Christian faith that informed her beliefs and actions used to convict people of the sin of slavery and sought to convince them to bring about its end. And Abraham Lincoln gives her credit to that end. It was a significant piece in the history of our country in bringing about the end of slavery, all without her own power and all without her own authority. If you were powerless and you lack the authority to establish God's on earth as it is in heaven kingdom, how would you proceed in your relationships with others? How would you live out the call that God has called you to? Because that's really the scenario in which we're invited into in the kingdom of God. Because Jesus both models for us and calls us to do all those things through humble servanthood. On the strength of his power, and his authority at work in and through our lives, using our talents and abilities to show the power of his gospel. And so when we think about kingdoms and establishing power and authority, may the power and authority that we represent in our speech and our life and our love and our faith be the good news that draws all people together in God's kingdom. And may we be less consumed by the pursuit of earthly kingdoms or our own personal kingdoms. And may we reject the dividing lines of the world, respecting the authority of those in positions of leadership and matters of opinion, while at peace with rejecting worldly authority when it rejects the teachings of Jesus, because that's what represents God's will. As we reflect on those who are in positions of power in our lives, may we honor and respect and disagree in such a way that God's authority over our lives is evident and obvious. God's kingdom brings people together, and it's up to us to choose his over any other. As imperfect people, we're better together than when we are alone, because with God and what he does with our collective stories, he makes, he makes them matter for eternity. And he takes our lives, even when we feel powerless, and even when we feel like we have no agency for change, and he changes them for eternity. That's the good news that he has called us into within his kingdom through Jesus. And that's the good news that he's called us to share with other people who are divided and who are in desperate need of it. As we prepare our hearts and our minds to share in communion this morning like we do every week at Velocity, I, I'm going to pray that, that we will be reminded of the foundation that Jesus establishes, that he humbles himself, regards equality with God as something to be not grasped. He leaves it aside, and he humbles himself as a servant. And that's what he models for you and I to do with others in our lives as well. And that 
what seems like an abdication of power and authority is actually what allows God's power and his authority to shine in our lives, and it changes the world. Let's pray. God, um, one of the ways that your kingdom has been described is, is an upside-down upside way of, of looking at the world because it's so countercultural. It's so different than what we naturally, when left to our own devices, think we need to do to pursue things, that we, we need to grab as much wealth and power as we can so we can have authority over people, so we can have things be the way that they ought to be. And yet, that's not how you call us to operate. And it's, it's not how you operate your kingdom. That, God, you, you don't need to amass power because you already have it. <laughs> that, that your authority is the only one that, that truly exists because of who you are. God, we, we ask that you help us to, to be um, cognizant of that through your Holy Spirit, that we recognize that and how, how we relate and how we react and how we respond to the people in our lives, because it's, it's those relationships, it's those interpersonal connections that we make and interactions that we have that, um, that establishes your kingdom in our lives and the lives of other people. God, we, we praise you and we honor you for who you are and what you accomplish uh, and have accomplished through Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.